Hey y'all, hey, welcome to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, where we talk about all things adulting, our experiences as three Black women on this journey of living our best life, trying to support each other as we figure out this ghetto world of adulting. I am joined by my amazing co-hosts, Nay and Sunny D. Hi honeys, I'm Nay, your virtual homegirl with thoughts on almost any and everything. To me, adulting is a game of whack-a-mole. Once you think you have one thing conquered, something else pops right up. What's up, y'all? It's Sunny D, and to me, adulting is choosing to be your best self while that laundry multiplies and the dogs are chewing on your favorite shoes. Yo, 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 this is your girl, Nakai, and I'm your host of Where's My Blueprint Podcast. I randomly burst out in song, love, ice, and think adulting is a beautiful storm of I get to do what I want mixed with what the hell did I sign up for? Thanks for joining us. Now let's get to the episode. Hey, welcome back to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver entertaining, educational, and self-inspirational thoughts and comments all about adulting. Happy best month of the year, February. And so y'all know we do a quote of every single episode. And so today's quote is, no matter how big a nation is, it is no stronger than its weakest people. And as long as you keep a person down, some part of you has to be down there to hold him down. So it means you cannot soar as you might otherwise. Marion Anderson, what are y'all thoughts? I see Nay over here snapping her fingers. Yes, come on with it. I love it because I think it all boils down to some people just like to dwell in their mediocrity. And as long as you don't soar, they never have to put forth effort and perform. So they rather stifle you in hopes that they don't have to, you know, be their best self. So I really like this quote. I mean, I agree. I feel like there's not too much more to say aside from that because that's the absolute truth in order to hold somebody down do you not have to be down there with them lay in the mud long enough you're gonna get fleas maybe the grass or maybe lay with dogs that's the quote lay with dogs long enough you're gonna get fleas lay in the mud long enough you're gonna get dirty listen i'm over here co-signing and i was like yeah that's right that makes sense to me I'm over here like, wait a minute, something don't sound right. <laughs> so with that, our either or for today is either a week without a shower or a week without leaving the house and no internet. I could easily go a week in the house with no internet. I have several books to read. I have several books offline to listen to. I have painting supplies. I have puppies. Like I could absolutely entertain myself for a week without the internet. I do like the bay. So I'm going to be doing that on my week with no internet too. So that's where I'll be. Call me trifling, call me whatever you want to. But if I go a week without leaving the house or with no internet, I ain't showering. For why? For who? What I'm doing to get it, to get messed up and funky? Nothing. Who gonna smell me? Who gonna see me? The same people in this house? Like, if I haven't showered, that is the least of the smells that Jay or Alex have smelled. So yes, I'm just gonna do both of them. And who gonna check me, boo? Nobody. Okay. All right. That's it. That's all for an a. Um, For me, I'm going to say I can do a week without leaving the house because I'm such an introvert so I can actually stay at home for more than a month without leaving. Um, And no internet. Again, I am a crafty person and I have 
have different things that I'm already into that I can do. So I'm okay with that. Now, a week without a shower, I can't go a day without taking two showers a day. So that is a no for me. So that's what I'm going to say. And this side eye that I'm getting from Nay, okay. <laughs> but with that, ladies, um, welcome to February. We're so excited to be in this amazing month. But how did y'all have fun this week? What did y'all do? Okay, so I found out that Netflix has a show, like two seasons of a show that I watched religiously when I was in high school. And I binged both seasons out of straight up nostalgia. They're absolutely ridiculous. And it's like a high school reality show. It's ridiculous. And I was watching it with all of the judginess, but I thoroughly enjoyed myself because nostalgia. Now you can't tell us all that without telling us the name. Okay. Judge me if you shall, because I don't care and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I watched both seasons of Laguna Beach. That's on Netflix. Because I, for whatever reason, was obsessed with these dumb white kids in Orange County and how ridiculous their lives were. So I rewatched both seasons. Me and my puppies on the couch. I was, my best friend was like, why are you watching that? I said, because it's hysterical. Number one, this was like circa 2004, 2005. The imagery is all grainy because technology back then. And I'm like, at this point, it's just all ridiculousness and nostalgia and it's the only entertainment that I'm getting out of it and I enjoyed myself. For me, I would say something similar to um, you, Sunny was I started watching a show called Parenthood that was like back, back, back in the day with Zaria. Oh, I forgot his little name, but um, that one was, was so fun. And I actually went down a whole entire thought process of like, oh, we have some really good shows growing up from like Parenthood, In the House, Family Matters. Like we really had good shows growing up. And so watching them or rewatching them as an adult, is so fascinating because it's like, well, besides the obviously the styles were totally different. And we're like, I don't know if I would wear that nowadays. But just knowing that we had so many family Black-based shows was fascinating and so cool to me. The thing that I did this week to have fun was work put me in a different location. So I got to hang with the pre-toddlers. So that's the one to like one and a half. Mm, yeah, one to one and a half year old. It was so much fun the way that they're just now starting to walk and they're not even talking yet. They're full of gibberish, but they have so much personality and you have not lived until you have went back and forth with a toddler, well, with a pre-toddler who cannot talk, but really thinks they're talking. It was a lot of finger waving. It was a lot of head moving. And me with my goofy self, I forget my big old age and my hands on my lip hips and I'm just talking to them. So we are literally going back and forth and I can't, I can't really understand them, but they know every word that I'm saying. So it was just a ton of fun. Like I was reminded of children at that age and it just made me smile. So ladies, sorry to bring us from our funness, but it's Black History Month. And with that comes all the foolishness in the world. Like we, as Black women, we all know it. This week, we're going to lean into the foolishness with a conversation that I think we have amongst ourselves as Black people, but we don't really have it in diverse settings because who wants to be viewed as the angry Black person? We are going to talk about racism, prejudice, discrimination, and bigotry, and maybe get a little bit closer and clearing that answer to the age-old question of, can Black people be racist? Mm -hmm. So 
So what do y'all think of when y'all hear the words racist, bigot, prejudice, or discrimination? My default is white people because a lot of what we experience are at the hands of being oppressed. I think it's how we as black people don't have the power to oppress, haven't, historically speaking, to oppress. To answer the previous question, no, black people cannot be racist. And there is a difference, and this needs to be very clear, that there's a difference between being racist and being prejudiced. Those are two totally different words. I can have prejudice against someone else and judge them for whatever um, circumstances or stereotypes or what have you. But racism specifically comes from power that Black people do not and have not hysteric, like historically held. So we cannot be, by definition, racist towards anyone else. Can we be prejudiced and can we be discriminatory? 100%. 100%. Racist? Absolutely not. White people got that on lock. I agree with you, Sunny D. I don't think Black people can be racist. But when I think of those words, I immediately thought of like the colonizers. You know what I mean? Like anything we say or do, it's always taken to the extreme. You know, like if somebody, I'll use this in, one thing our culture right we have culture but it's taken as like oh they're too ghetto oh they're too loud oh they're too much all this and this but it's technically aren't we just creative human beings and you're just jealous of it and the fact that you can't be us so but then you appropriate our culture to try to do it and you steal it but not just our culture any poc culture yeah i like that and of course i'm gonna put the oxford language definition to these words in the blog but to basically sum up the true definition of these words is that discrimination is well let me start with prejudice so prejudice is when you have like these thoughts or views about a particular person or thing that you don't really have an actual reason for it or it hasn't you don't have actual experience with it but you feel those things a bigot is someone who takes it a step further and not only has those thoughts and views about whatever it is but they staunchly hold on to it so even when faced with evidence that um contradicts those views and opinions and ideas they still hold on to it and then discrimination is when that person then does things and keeps away items um for whatever person or thing or whatever um based on those views and ideas but racism and this is the definition according to nay racism is when you are in a position of power be it power that you personally have or power that the system or the structure of whatever gives you and then you take that and you use that against another group of people because you deem them inferior. With that being said, that's why my lovely co-host state that Black people cannot be racist because we are in a society that we don't have that kind of power for. We have always been considered inferior or powerless in this society. So if you are considered inferior in a structure, you really can't have power to withhold from other people. We can be bigots. We can be prejudiced. We can discriminate. Can we be racist? No, no. And I love this quote 
quote that I heard from Kevin, Kev on stage for Actrix, and he beautifully summed up white privilege. And he said, it's not that you have life easy because you are white. It means that being white doesn't make it harder for you. By nature of being Black in the structure of the U.S. society that we live in, there are certain situations that are harder for us just because we're Black. Not because we didn't work for it, not because we're not qualified for it, just based on the color of our skin, it's harder for us because this system was not built for us to win. But I digress. Yeah, I agree with that for sure, because there are, our our societal system is set up with being white and white people and whiteness as the default, right? And anything that is not that is less than. So tack on us being black, tack on us being female, like coming out the womb, we, we fighting and we have been for all of eternity. You know what I mean? And it makes things more difficult when you have to realize that you have to work. It You know, it's that, that saying that we've all heard, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. You know what I mean? And someone else that is not melanated can do the most mediocre work and be miles ahead of everyone else. I mean, how many times have we had superiors or bosses or people in leadership in our lives where we're like, how did you get this job? Why? How sway? When you're the one that is the more qualified, you're the one that has the experience and the knowledge and things like that. But because they know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody, they get to call shots. You know what I'm saying? Or what I love is the astonishment of your capabilities because you're Black. That good old microaggression of, oh my God, you're so insert rude AF term for a Black girl. Like just because I'm Black, that negates my capacity to be XYZ. Make it make sense. Yeah, I even you make such a good point because I even think of we're in a world where it's slowly changing. And I say slowly, I mean like molasses, but it's changing to where we are now, some of us, feeling comfortable to come to work, not as our authentic selves, but as our natural selves. Meaning we're able to wear our hair in a natural way. And I think um, we spoke about this in a previous episode of where you and AD said, you gonna tell I'm a black girl and you gonna get all this black girl magic based off my LinkedIn picture, you know? But it also goes back to um, nepotism, right? Uh, understanding that, oh, I'm gonna bring this person up because this person looks like me and I want this person to come up because we family, we friends, or you just basically in my race. And my opinion on this is that as Black people, we need to start doing the same thing. And I say that because if we're looking at like they're bringing their own, why aren't we bringing our own? If they are making, if they're opening doors for these people who are le- not not even less qualified, you're not qualified for it, like at all. Why are we not at least bringing the ones that we know can do the job in? And I say that really, and I'll sum this up really quickly of like, um, my friend and I went to go look for um, this cute townhome, talking to the owner or the person who's, uh, I guess, the leasing agent. I asked him, oh, how did you even get into this, you know, this work? Literally told me he had no idea about anything about leasing, any of it. And I was like, well, how did you get the job? Oh, well, my brother works for the company. They knew I was having a baby. So they just, the owner called him and was like, hey, I heard your brother, your brother called me. He said you were having a baby. Do you at least know how to interact? 
interact with people. He was like, yeah, you know, be a construction. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. When do you want to start? And that's how he got the job. And so my friend and I got back in the car and I was like, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way only because how many other people apply for that job that are qualified that are probably hell, not even half, but at least 2% more qualified than him because he was not even in the vicinity. And when I'm asking him questions, he's just like, oh, I'll email that answer to you. Oh, I'll email. Why are you here? So yes, that was frustrating because I'm looking for a place and you literally can't answer any of my questions, but you literally just admitted that you got a job based off nepotism. Like that's very frustrating. Yeah. I'm like, Unica, I have no problem with nepotism. I mean, just being honest, when you are in a position to hire out or to get somebody to do some work, do a skill, do a task, you immediately look to your circle and your people that you have in your mental Rolodex and in your physical Rolodex. And a lot of times that are, that's probably people who look like you. The problem that I have is that we as Black people have been so conditioned to take the moral high ground and to do things by the book, to do things right and in order and decent and in order. But we are playing in a society that does not do things right and in order and decent and in order. So we have to cognitively have a mental shift that says when we get in these positions, it's okay to hire your cousin. It's okay to hire your brother. Just us being who we are, we're going to make sure that person is qualified because that also is us putting ourselves on the line because if it fails, it's not going to be, oh, that person was just unqualified. It's going to be that Black person hired that other Black person who isn't qualified and this just proves why Black people can't do this job. But yes, nepotism on its face is not wrong. I'm for it. Let me get in a position where I can get put all my homies on. They getting put on. Yeah, I think what you said made sense in my mind of like, the world is playing, well, honestly, white people are playing chess while Black people are trying to learn how to play checkers. You're pl- We're playing two totally different games and you can't play chess with a checkers mindset. And so you're coming into a game that you already don't know the rules. You already don't understand how to move. And now with this limited mindset, you are like, oh, well, no one told me. Okay. So are you, we're living in an age, are you going to find out this information? Like, how can you now learn this information to be able to be in a position, like you said, to bring your whole entire circle up, you know? And I'm going to say this. And one thing I'm learning is that unfortunately, (laughs) even being a Black person, being in a, um, sometimes, not all the time, but I've just experienced this, like being a Black person and working with different Black people can go either way. And I say that because sometimes I'm like, oh, yay, I'm working with Black people. Yes, this is great. But I recently just had an experience where I work with two Black ladies and the hostile work environment that I came into was crazy. I feel like these topics are so incredibly complex because there's so many things at play. One of the things, Naomi, you were speaking that came to my mind is the concept of the acceptable Negro and how I think a good chunk of us have been kind of raised or conditioned to get ourselves on the same level to be accepted and to be like to be able to have that type of access that we've been limited to for so long and we have to behave a certain way and we have to speak in a particular manner and this goes I mean this goes to things like how we name our children and giving them specific names that maybe you know 
ethnically ambiguous you know what I'm saying like that's what my parents did to me and my brother like on paper you don't know that I'm black you know what I'm saying the way in which I speak and the way in which I spoke for so long because of how I was raised and the principles that I was given as a child most of the people that I had conversations with especially once I got into the age where I was working we'd be on like conference calls and things of that nature people didn't know I was black until they saw my face so like my manner in which I speak and the my name doesn't match the physicality of what people see and what they see they expect a certain type of dialect when I speak they expect my name to be something different and that's not the case so that makes me more uh that makes it easier for me to assimilate you know what I'm saying and granted I were absolutely recognized that's been a privilege that I've been given and that's something intentional that my parents did but at the same time it's like we shouldn't have to do like we're still human beings you know what I'm saying we're still completely capable incredibly intelligent this entire country is built on our backs you can't tell us that there's not something that we can't do and that we can't learn to do. You know what I'm saying? So why do we have to camouflage ourselves and to make ourselves more acceptable to someone else in order to maybe, possibly, perhaps be on the same level? Yeah. Like you kind of said, Nakai, with my LinkedIn picture. Like LinkedIn picture, you're going to get this head wrap. My interview for my current job, I wore a head wrap. It's rainy. It's cold here. I mean, I got a finger snap worth of hair but still guess how I done showed up to work every day this week either in a beanie or in a head wrap and I've had so many conversations about it but you know who I didn't have conversations about it with my my supervisor like my co-workers they complimented them but I didn't have to have those conversations and I know that I am extremely blessed and some would say fortunate for that, but it also is a conscious decision of just like a company might say, I'm not good enough to work for their company with my head wrap. I also am now saying you're not good enough for me to work for if I can't wear my head wrap. And we have to take that mental shift. Like if I can't be here in my full authentic self, then that doesn't mean the deficit is in me. That means the deficit is in you and your company culture that will not embrace me as myself. I love that you just said that, um, Nay, because if you can't wear your head wraps or if you can't wear your beanies, I think of the word code switching. And so how like Sunny D kind of used it of like her words, her name, and how like we go into these corporations having to leave ourselves at home and to code switch to acclimate to what they want us to be. But that hurts us in so many different ways of you're not being yourself. So now you're isolating parts of you or putting yourself in um um, what word am I looking for? Come on, dictionary. Give you more. Um, you're putting yourself in different categories, but it's not the different categories of the word I'm looking for. Boxes? Not boxes. I think of like when we have to do that, that hurts us so much more. Like not just hurt us like, oh, my emotions, but literally it is hurting us like physically, mentally, emotionally, like spiritually, like our whole entire essence is truly being affected. And so I would, I pose this question to both of y'all because I'm really curious about this. Of Have you ever discriminated against someone or has, and I mean, as Black people, we get discriminated just walking down the street. So I'm not going to even flip that question. Honesty hour, I think I have. 
like, be it maybe age or be it, um, let's say, I don't want to say disability because there is a better, more inclusive term for that, but that's what it is. Just because being ignorant, and once again, audience, ignorance is not a bad thing. Ignorance is only a bad thing when you choose not to make yourself not ignorant, (laughs) when you choose not to educate yourself, but we are all ignorant over some things. But just being ignorant on a person's individual capability. So not lumping them under, oh, you're an old person. You shouldn't be able to do X, Y, Z, or oh, you might use a wheelchair. You shouldn't like be able to do X, Y, and Z. So in those situations, I feel like I have discriminated against somebody else. Not that I meant to do it maliciously because I wouldn't want to put somebody in a situation where I feel like they couldn't be successful. But who am I to determine if they can be successful or not? If I don't know that person and I don't know firsthand what they're capable of. So yes, I feel like I probably have. And I think I think most people have for whatever various reasons. Similarly to Nay, discriminating against someone um, just based on what limited information you possess at that time and in that moment, you can only do, like we said a million times before, you can only do with what the information you have with what you have. You know what I mean? You don't know what it is that you don't know when you know what it is that you know. But yeah, I think that that is a very common thing. Um, I've definitely done it. And in some cases, it's been a defense mechanism in some situations, discriminating against someone else, especially if I'm somewhere that's unfamiliar or if I'm around people that I don't know or, or areas that I'm not 100% comfortable with, making specific or certain like judgments about the environment or about the people in order to protect myself, I definitely think that that's something that people in general do. And I've absolutely done that. I would challenge you to say, that's not a judgment to me. That's more of an assessment, meaning you're assessing your situation because in my opinion, anywhere I go, I'm a, I'm a quickly assess for myself. Safety. Because as a black woman, I have to be hyper alert of, and that's so sad, but I have to be hyper alert of where am I? What area am I in? What's going on? Okay. Am I able to go from my car to the store, you know, safely depending on, and that, and honestly, you could live in the best neighborhood, million dollar neighborhood, and you're still as a black person going to be looked at like, do you belong here? Why are you here? Or are you the help? And unless even and I say this because I, I don't know, but I'm going to say, make a hypothetical, I guess, hypothetical, uh, why am I brain not working today? Hypothetical statement. Thank you. That even basketball players or like football players and celebrities can still go into certain places and they're still looked at like you're a black person. Because I feel like Oprah went to a store and they still treated her. She's fucking Oprah. Like, so I think of like, just to change that language, that's not a judgment to me. That's an assessment. And as black Black people, we have to constantly assess every single situation we're in, every single environment that we're in, every single, not even, sometimes even conversations, like even being at work, like how how did I address this? How did I do this? Okay, let me think about the word I'm saying. Am I being too quote unquote aggressive when I'm just advocating for myself? But because you're a white woman, you're going to use your white tears to make it seem like I hurt your fucking feelings. 
when technically you were in the wrong in the first place and you're trying to gaslight me and make me feel belittled and I did something wrong to make you feel better. No, we're not playing the victim here. It's called accountability. Be accountable for your actions. Be accountable for how you treat people. Because like you did say, uh, Sunny earlier is that we're all humans. Treat us all with respect. I think the point that is important but gets failed to, you know, be highlighted is when you do make that assessment, but you course correct when you get additional information. You don't stay in that spot of discrimination. You understand that, oh, now I'm dealing with an individual and this individual has these capabilities and they can do this thing that I was unsure or uneducated before that they could do. And then, because once again, good Black people, you apologize for not handling them as such an individual. A lot of people stay in that place of ignorance and just say, oh, well, you're a unicorn. I'm still going to believe whatever I'm going to want to believe in, which is where the problem is. The problem isn't in the assessment. The problem is in not correcting your assumptions or thinking that person is just a one-off instead of thinking, oh, maybe the views that I have about these assumptions is the one-off. That's where the harm and the danger lie. That reminds me. So, and I pose this question because I'm curious if you guys have had similar experiences where you've met someone white, not melanated or whatever you want to categorize it. And clearly they've had some sort of thought process, assessment, judgment about you and then they meet you and then all of a sudden it's like oh well you're not like the other black people like you're not black black you know what I'm saying like have you guys had those experiences where someone has either given you that type of impression or have legitimately used those words like oh you're not like so and so I thought you'd be in a certain manner but you're not so like they still have those judgments about a group of people as a whole but you aren't like the rest of them child as a girl who grew up in a Kool-Aid red state. Let me say that again. A Kool-Aid red state, like red as red can be, and went to a PWI that is a predominantly white institute and grew up with at least some, if not higher educated Black parents that were middle class, time and time again, I got the, well, you're not Black. I even had a white person tell me that another white person was Blacker than me. Yes. So much so that I felt like I was all the white boys starter Black girl crush and all the Black boys who date white girls safe Black girl crush. So yes, that was my reality for a while. And then the Black v. Blackness, I guess, came in everybody just knew I was black I will second that I was <laughs> I've had those experiences um a lot of it comes when I change my hair and they're like oh your hair can do this and then it's more of like oh I didn't think your hair was this long or oh you know like those conversations you have to have um I would say when I was younger what stands out to me is when um I started my undergrad and my roommate was well my sweet mate was white and we saw each other on Facebook when Facebook was a thing. And that's, you know, you only had to have a college, um, 
email to get there. And so I already had a, I'm not going to lie, I had a um, preconceived opinion of her of like, oh, she's white, she's dirty. Oh, she's white, she sheds. Oh, she's white. I don't know if I want to be my her roommate. And so when we got to the place, I was so happy to know that we only shared the common spaces, but we had our own individual rooms. Long story short, me and her are like really, really good friends now because, and we both had this conversation, like she was like, oh, you're a really nice black girl. And I was like, you're a really clean white girl. And so, <laughs> but we had that conversation because she came similar from you, Nay, like a really, really, really small town where the only black person there was one teacher and that's it. And she didn't even take her class. Her parents didn't want her in her class. So like, even when we were moving in together, like my family's looking at her like, mm. I, her family's definitely looking at her like, are you safe? Like that was their whole entire thing. They're like, are you going to be safe with a black girl in your space? And so luckily we were like, well, I like my room because my room's like down the street from my other friends. So, uh, but we put up with, but needless to say, she's one of my really good friends today. And I'm not gonna lie. I really was like, mm, I don't know about her. And she didn't know about me. But like you said, giving that person a chance to get to know you, not as the color of your skin, but as a person. Like, do I like you as a person versus the color of your skin scares me or the color color of your skin equates that you're dirty. Yeah, because let's keep it funky. I don't like all black folk and, and them, you know, quote unquote, my people, but all your skin, all your skin folk ain't kin folk. So if I'm judging my own people and assessing my own people, of course I'm assessing you. Like, am I safe? And right up again, am I safe? Do I feel comfortable? Because if my comfort and my peace are in jeopardy, then that is basically the same and the equivalent of me not being safe. Yeah, I remember I had similar thoughts to roommates when I was in college as well. And I, I think I had like a the first apartment I had, I think it was like a four-bedroom apartment. We shared common areas, but we all had our own rooms. And the four bedrooms were the least expensive. And your girl's undergrad and she broke. So of course I'm gonna go with the least expensive option. And they just plug in whomever is assigned to whatever like apartment. It's not like you got to pick unless you actually had someone that you like signed leases together with right and so I was in with like three like white chicks and they were like really close well two was really close together and one was a one-off she was an interesting character and the two that came in are like what you would stereotypically think of like white college girls like blonde and super skinny and like ain't really had too much interaction with other people that don't look like them in the entirety of their lives so I was representative of the entire black race and everything that I did and everything that I said was for all of us in its entirety you know what I mean and so they came with their own preconceived notions I came with my own preconceived notions as you know a defense mechanism and protecting me and my stuff and staying out of harm's way and all that kind of stuff and not trying to make a ruckus you know what I'm saying and one of the girls we ended up being really good friends like we went on vacation uh, one summer we did like a cruise or something together and to this day we still we still talk she's one of the few people that I've kept in contact with from my college days very few people I've kept in contact with but she's one of them and we came to the agreement that we had like like we realized we had the same affinity for shoes and like we loved good shoe shopping so we would always go shoe shopping together and that's where we started to find our common ground and we had conversations we really started to enjoy each other's company but it's taking those times and taking those instances where you meet someone that 
has had a different experience than you have or a different upbringing. And you actually have a conversation. You actually get to know these people as human beings. And a lot of that preconceived notions that we, and those um, prejudices that we gain, you shed when you're decent human beings. Because not every human being is a decent human being, uh, which we know that and we've seen time and time again. Yeah. To piggyback on not everyone's a good human being and what Nay said earlier of like all skin folk, all skin folk and kin folk. I think about being in the room with your own, but still feeling that you have you don't belong, if that makes sense. And I'll use a recent example. Um, Nay heard it. Thank you for being there for, you know, me <laughs> going on a tangent. Um so So I want to give every single Black person this, specifically Black women. If you have a Black woman coming into your corporation and your family, anything, treat that Black woman as you want to be treated. Let me rephrase, because some of y'all like to be treated like dirt. And that's not where we're going. Treat that Black person as you would want that white person to treat you. And I say that because, like Sunny DJ said, like, just be a decent human being. Like, we are all here. We are all here for a reason. And the fact that somebody came into your life, that was a purpose why that person was there. Hence, you know, Sunny D found out, like, this girl, um, her her roommate, well, her suite mate, you know, or housemate, technically. And her have this amazing love of shoes. And they probably go shoe shopping and spend, like, grands and grands and grands on shoes you know what I mean like that's their that's their commonality but we are all in a space to where we can learn from each other each and every one of us are we're here for a reason but not only are you my mirror it's like what am I mirroring back to you what do you need to learn what what am I not only to learn from you but what can you really learn from me and as a black person to a black person we really could run this whole entire place if we could actually work together and get along. And I say that because I thought of while you were talking is like this whole entire theme of black people have this theme about them of like crabs in a barrel. And it's like, why? 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 I feel like we've been conditioned to that because let me start by saying that white supremacy is not exclusive to white people. White supremacy is so ingrained in this country that even people that aren't white, like the very people it's designed to oppress, believe it because it's been the default, because that's all that we know. Most some people know, you know what I'm saying? So you have people that perpetuate the same stereotypes that are legitimately used against them all the time. And it makes it so incredibly difficult to lift up and to support And I mean, similarly to our quote or to reference our quote that we had at the beginning of the episode, like if you're reaching down to the person below you that's weaker than you, it should only be to bring them to your level. It should only be to bring them up. And that's not something that we're conditioned to because we've been, we've grown up in a society where there's only a certain amount of Black people allowed and we've reached our limit. I'm already here. There's already enough of us. I've actually worked at a company where employees got transferred to other locations because there was too many of us at a store. Like our manager was black. It was me. It was like two or three other people. I got asked to go to another store and it was like, I'm assuming they all there. Right. And this is in like a major, super nice luxury type mall, like in our city. So having 
a bunch of black people in a store was like the wrong deal. So I think it's just been like this underlying, like conditional, like treatment that we've all been subjected to that there's only so many, only so many of us can make it. And if I'm here, then sorry, I can't help you. And that's not how it should be. Other cultures don't do that. Other cultures are very much, I have the insight. I have this information. I'm going to give it to you so you can spread it to so-and-so. How do you think that 1% stay in the 1%? That information is circulated amongst them. It don't, that trickle-down theory is not a thing. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. So, like, that's why it's been such a, that, that's why we have that issue with this whole crabs in a barrel theme is because we've been conditioned to believe that that's how it is. And there's only so many spots available. And if you make it, you make it. And if you don't, then sorry. I think he said something really fascinating to me that intrigued me was, it's only so many of us, but it, how the wealthy stay wealthy is because they pass down that knowledge, right? And I thought about this because when I was younger, because um, on our previous episode, Nay and I talked about how like we love, 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 love reading books. And I remember my uncle uh, used to always say, I'm so glad you read so much because if you ever want to know something or you ever want to get ahead, it's always in a book because they always say black people don't read. So if you put it in a book, that way you can get ahead. Like all the knowledge is always in a book. And when you think about it, the more you read, the more you know, the more you learn, the more you grow. I think that was Dr. Seuss. But <laughs> but I think about that because if you understand your history, if you understand the knowledge, if you understand how to play the game, that's knowledge that won't be Googled. It's going to have to be passed down in a secretive way. You know what I mean? Like we got it. Like you said, keep the wealthy, wealthy, keep the low, low, but there's always a loophole somewhere. You just have to be open enough to know it. Or like you said, reach down, bring that next person up. Once that person comes up, okay, I move up now. You keep doing it. Like let's, it's a chain reaction. Yeah. I think one concept that y'all keep hitting on is kind of the concept of the magical Negro and the idea that you as one Black person can do everything. And that has been something that I feel like white society has pointed out the one Black person that they want to do something and then fed in them that they can do it all. And so now it's this constant running and journey to live up to that. But as Black people, we need to stand firm and be like, yes, I can do a lot of, but there are also some things that I can't do. And what I can't do, I will throw those opportunities to my brother who I know will succeed in those because that's their strong suit. Black people as a people, we do not work on a, um, what is it called? A society that's all about me. Black people, we work on a collaborative, a collaborative communal society. Like our, it's in our genes that we need each other. But when enslavement came, it separated us and put that egocentric self-centeredness into us. And now it's almost like we're fighting those nurture urges to get back to our nature. And I would just invite Black people to get back to their nature, get back to the, it takes all of us to do one task. Because when we all are together and on the same team, then we're unstoppable because you're dealing with somebody who deals in egocentricity. And I feel like that's the fear. The fear is they band together, they work together, they'll be unstoppable. So they there's systems that have been put into place. There are, you know, laws and um, rules and all these things that are put into place so that 
that doesn't happen. And like Nakai said, like a lot of these things are in a book. I actually, I think the quote is, if you want to hide something from a Black man or from a Black person, put it in a book because they don't read, you know, they're, they're not readers. Well, we weren't allowed to for so many years. Why do you think we weren't allowed to? Because they knew if we had that same amount of knowledge, if we, and then we, there were more of us, there's a lot of us right and we all band up and actually unified then yeah we would be unstoppable and that's the thing that they don't want i think it's also you already said it the fear of overpowering but the fear of retaliation meaning as a i don't think they have culture them so as white people they already know what they have history has shown what you have done to black people how you have mistreated them how you have abused them how you have killed them how you have lynched them how you have bombed them and now they're afraid the tables are about to turn and what they think is oh well if we did all this to them it's going to be 10 times worse because they're going to do it to us but like they said we come from a lineage of kindness of helping of love that's that's who we are meant to be we are the goddess and goddesses walking this earth but we are so powerless and not using our full mind and really recognizing who we are that we're going to keep walking what is that in the bible moses they walked for 40 years like aimlessly lead like no sight no journey no destination until we wake up and know we are the ones that can change this world but we can't do that if we're again like you said focusing and i would say not just ego not just as ego but in our trauma we have to heal the trauma to be able to get out of that then to be able to really function as a collective once we get there then (laughs) yeah i don't know about everybody else but y'all better be scared because once we get there my retaliation and my ancestors are pissed respectfully not respectfully that you triggered something in my mind and I had to look it up because I wanted to make sure that I got her name correctly I don't know if you guys saw this video of this activist her name is Kimberly Jones and when you were talking to Kai it made me think about I think it was like one of the last things that she said in this clip was that this was like right at the the rise of like the BLM movement in 2020 um that hot mess of a year and the one of the last things she said in this movement was like, they better be glad that Black people only seek equality and not revenge. We do a lot of fighting. We, we, we want equality. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's what it is that we're that Black people search for. If we were searching for revenge, then you should have something to be to be scared of. And the manner in which she delivered it and what she said struck like that hit me so hard the first time I saw it. And even every time I rewatch it, it's just so incredibly powerful because it speaks a lot to I think what a lot of Black people in this country are feeling. Yes, but I also think we need to take heart and internalize the late great Audre Lorde's quote when she said, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us to temporarily beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. So we can't use violence (laughs) and all kinds of other things to try to dismantle a system who has put us in, well, subjected us to inferior standards and relegated us to inferior status based well using by using violence. 
moment. <laughs> so we have to rise above our baser instincts and be who we are called to be. And that is smarter, that is more compassionate to be that light, to blot out all the evil and darkness. I also think that it's not just equality that we are looking for. We're also looking for equity. And I say that because I look at like equality means each individual or group of people is giving the same resources or opportunity versus equity (laughs) means recognizing that each person has different circumstances and allocates the exact resources and opportunities needed to reach an equal outcome. I say that because we, and not just we as Black people, but minorities, meaning if you are Latina, if you're, you know, Samoan, like we're not given the right amount of resources to be able to compete in a world with where they already don't want us. But if we want to level the stakes, we don't, it's not just equal, it's equitable. Like, how can we ensure every single person, hence the quote earlier, how can we make sure, just because of the lack of words right now, our weakest American is still the strongest in another country? And I say that because you look at different countries, their they're weakest or their quote unquote, what we would call dumbest citizen is still 15 times above America, an American. We're, we're number one accompaniments, but lack everything else. So how can we, and I'm not even talking about like as a group, I'm talking about as a people, how can we ensure that we are making sure that each one of us or our circle or everything is equitable? Yeah, I've always, um, since I learned the difference between equality and equity, love the idea of equity and not just as it pertains to the quantity of resource, but also the quality of those resources. We are all not carbon copies of each other. So what I need to succeed would probably be different from what you need to succeed. And I think when we talk about equality, we talk about giving people the exact same, but you could be giving somebody a resource that they know nothing about, so they can't use, or giving them a resource that they already have. And thereby wasting resources. So this has been a hard topic in in that it takes a lot of mental capacity. It brings up a lot of strong feelings. So what is one resource that our um, listeners could use if they want to learn more about this topic, learn more about the plight of Black people, learn more about race relations. I know I'm putting y'all on the spot here, but do y'all have any resources off the top of y'all head that a person could delve into? And I'll give y'all a little bit of time. Um, I'll go first. I think people should listen to or read the works of of Audre Lorde. She is a great, um, she was a great speaker and a great activist for women, LGBT rights, like Black women, all the things. Um, as cliche as it sounds, listening to the sermons of Martin Luther King is great. And not just early Martin Luther King Jr. who talks about, you know, compassion and everything else. Also listen to that back catalog where he got mad 
mad and angry and he was more like brother Malcolm than you know the politically correct and nice Martin Luther King Jr. that people like to try out on Black History Month. Ladies who are y'all suggestions and picks? I think similarly to you Nay, I think it is important for any person that's wanting a true well you can't really have a true picture because they're they're not black but wanting more information and genuinely wanting more understanding of our situations things that we've been through is to read works done by black authors you know you you guys talked about this in our you know previous episode about the how important it was for reading books that were written by black people and what those things did for you guys growing up and I think for people that are not black to read stories and to read um, works that are written from a Black perspective, genuinely, I think is a place that people can easily start. It's it's one thing to like to Google things, but you know, not everything on the internet, believe it or not, guys, is true and accurate. But really taking the time to read something from the perspective of Black people, I think will maybe start start triggering some things in the brain that can lead to some beautiful conversations um, after the fact. So that would be, that would be my suggestion. And I'll leave y'all with reading the books, um, White Fragility and White Tears, Brown Scars. And that's just a start. But also if you have a POC in your life, really sit down and listen, Um, really sit down and listen to their story. Listen to them. Don't make it about you. Don't become the victim. Don't say, oh, well, I know we, I've been through this. You have not at all. Just take the time to hear them and really ask them, what can you do to be an, an accomplice and not an ally. And I think, Nay, you taught me the difference with that. But really sit down and get to know the POC in your life and understand that just because you can read all these books and you got a PhD and whatever you think you know Black people, you will never know what we go through because you're, like Sunny D said, you are not a Black person. You never lived a day in your life as a Black person. And I would challenge you to answer the question, would you change, would you change places with the Black person in your life? And to piggyback off Nakai, if your ego will not allow you to just sit and listen, here's what you do with all your newfound knowledge that you can't help but to want to share and everything else. Teach your people because we as Black people, we tired of having these conversations. We are tired of getting the questions. We are tired of teaching people about Blackness with the hopes that they will quit coming at us with violence. So since you know everything about it, Black people, go on to your white people. Teach your cousin. Because as Black people, I know about this Black girl. So you ain't going to tell me nothing about me. But you are going to tell your cousins about a whole new experience that they are not aware of. So teach your people. Listen to us talk and teach to your people and on that that note we will transition into moments of melanation moments of melanation moments of melanation is where we highlight a black person doing their thing today for moments of melanation we are highlighting 
So today, y'all, Moments of Melanation, I think really um, goes hand in hand with what we were talking about today is the seven, um, there is a $22.4 million contract doesn't only impact Miss Staley as an individual, but to women coaches as a whole. Don Staley, the University of South Carolina women's head basketball coach, woo, 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 is the highest paid black woman coach in the freaking profession. And as a Hall of Fame player, she earned her stripes to receive a historic seven-year, 22.4, 22, nicely, 0.4, million-dollar contract to coach the Gamecocks. That's a weird name, but whatever. <laughs> the multimillion contract doesn't only impact her as a person, but to women, coaches, and athletes as a whole. And I say this is so in line with what we were talking about today is because I can only imagine what she had to go through as a Black woman, a head coach to get this amount of money that she so deserves, so amazingly deserves. But to understand like in a field where now she's a woman, a black woman, having to advocate for herself, but also probably having to navigate all these other white women of like, well, why does she need this much money? Like, why is she? What's wrong with her? You know what I mean? Like, but doing it, but not only doing it for herself, she has now just opened the door. And yes, white women, you need to thank her too. She has now opened the door to not just believe Black women making this much money, but white coaches too. White women coaches also. Go Miss Daly, Daly. Flowers, flowers, flowers. Cause y'all, that is over um a little over seven million a year. And I don't know what kind of lifestyle she leads, but seven million a year is kind of hard to spend. You know, it would be hard for me in my life. Like I got big hopes and dreams. She could probably wipe her booty on seven million a year. But as for me and mine, I could be pretty comfortable with seven million a year for seven years. Well, not it's about it's a little over three million. My bad. Math wasn't math. Got my numbers in verse. Y'all know how it is. But um, with the right investments, I could be okay with um 22.4 to live off of for the rest of my life. So kudos to her. I love seeing women lead. I more importantly love seeing black women win. So this is right up my alley. I mean, yeah, same. Black women winning is the theme. But I honestly, I really like this for the fact that you don't see very many women leaders in sports and especially at, at like the college level. And for those of you that don't watch college sports, it's a big deal. And in some instances, it's even bigger than like NFL. Like some of these coaches are, banking more than some players in the NFL are getting okay so for the fact that she has she says she's worked to get this opportunity for herself is obviously not just for her like what this will do for her team what this does for female coaches in general what this does for black women in sports in general is so incredibly huge and it's it's phenomenal that we get to witness like these firsts even still on the flip side <laughs> why do we still have so many firsts like I'm tired but I digress I'm 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 proud of her this is going to be so rewarding to watch kind of what follows from her legacy of being able to attain this level of greatness and there's so much more greatness to come so uh we all get to watch it I agree we give you your flowers we say kudos and you live your best life just helping out all these new black beautiful women coming after you so thank you 
you. And with that, we're going to wrap up with our affirmation of today. And our affirmation of this episode is, even in a world that hates my skin, I shine and excel in every way I can. And with that, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode. Yes, this episode was a little bit heavy, but it was something that was really needed to be said. And so you guys can find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google. Y'all can check us out on Apple, uh, YouTube, but also check out the blog at where's my blueprintpod.com. Again, that's where's my blueprintpod.com. And with that, we are over and out. Bye. Peace out.